Hey everyone, it's Kelly Ray from the Human Source Codex podcast. And today I've got Eddie Aniva. And Eddie is uh, a guest from Perth and he is a cancer survivor. And he's also a trauma counsellor and he works in the, he's also a naturopath too as well. So it sounds like, Eddie, you have like a great deal of connection to like the mind-body uh, relationship and really understanding well-being from it, not only a personal level, but also from an intrinsic level. When I say intrinsic, like it's really deeply known. And what, what I'm saying here, I guess, is that because you are a cancer survivor, I like to say you now have the gnosis from first-hand experience of what that is like to actually be uh, a, a patient but also a wellness practitioner. So thank you for joining me on my podcast today. Yeah, thanks and for having gonna, me. Oh, you're so welcome. You're so welcome. So we're just going to let this flow any, any which way, as most of you listeners actually know that's how I actually operate. So I'm just going to dive right on in. So, Eddie, you're, you're a cancer survivor. Do you want to share with us what it was like to actually have cancer and to go through the process of coming into a place of, all well, your words, surviving? Yeah. I love what you said there. Like, honestly, like, cancer was my greatest teacher. Um, you know, it's not until you get unwell that you realise you need to get well and, these big things can be huge catalysts in your life. And it certainly was for me. And it sent me down a very deep wormhole of understanding health to a really deep level, you know, the holistic nature of our being and, and of health and how that sort of fits into all the other levels of health and life, not just physical, you know, the mental, emotional, spiritual, social, financial, everything. So, yeah, so no, life comes crashing down when you're diagnosed with cancer. You know, you, you think you're invincible until, um, you're not, um, and everything changes in an instant. You know, the greens are suddenly greener and the blues are bluer and the reds are redder. And all those things that were important really aren't so important anymore. And so, you know, it gets you to really reprioritize things. But when you're first diagnosed, it's a bit of a, a, bit of a cyclone rolls in because it gets pretty hectic pretty quickly. Um, not a lot of time to think, and it's really quite scary as well because you met with mortality and for for some people and I was for myself it was really my first dance with mortality um so really understanding what that is especially when you've never met it before um those surreal words you know that c word you've got cancer um there's so much emotion wrapped up in that c word and you know we if we just think about it we see that gaunt looking you know, cachexic patient, which is just withering away with no flesh on their bones and that gaunt face. That's the typical sort of imagery that typically comes up and it's, you know, we, we associate it with that straight away. But most people, when you're diagnosed, you feel fine, to be honest. Um, you're told, listen, you've got this thing inside of you and, you know, you've got X amount of time to live. And I have this with my patients that come in and you know, the stage four pancreatic cancer or something like that. And, They've been given like two to three months to live and they're looking at me like, I don't get it. I feel fine. Like I'm not in pain. There's nothing going on. And I've just been, you know, handed this death sentence essentially. So you now it's, it's a it's a pretty world shifting moment in the life. Um, and you know, it's it's it, it it knocked me for six for a for a little while until I could get my mindset right on it and then look for the hidden blessings 
in this diagnosis and what does this diagnosis mean in the context of my life? What do I need to learn from it and change from it and become a better version of myself? But I'd be lying if I said that I could get to that straight away. It was pretty tough to, to hear that when you're 33 in the prime of your life with, you know, a two and a half year old son and a pregnant wife, you know, things come crumbling down, but um, I really feel for, for people that get diagnosed and um, I really enjoy what I get to do because I get to counsel them through that and bring a little bit of a calmness to it because the reality is you don't need to rush when you're diagnosed although it feels like you need to go to panic stations you don't you can sit back and just get fully informed and think about it and you know let it let it hit and let it settle and find a place and then you can act but you know most people just go into panic stations which i get totally get um so yeah it's a pretty big deal hey (laughs) did you did you find um and and with the the people that you actually do work with do you find that there's a place there of uh, wanting to hand over, you know, like your own responsibility to, you know, a medico or a yeah. doctor in some yeah. form, like just to yeah, take, take that, take that away from make, make it go away. Make the pain go away so I can get on with my life and I hear that over and over again. Um, I think we're all very much programmed like that. You know, we have this magic pill mentality and this comfort-addicted know attitude in our society which is you know you get a headache you go and get panadol and you make it go away so get on with work or i'm tired but i go have a a cup of coffee and i get on with things and we just get on with things and we just find the solution outside of ourselves to medicate the thing away and go and i think it shows up in this for for many people and you do you just want the doc to make this go away this nightmare go away um and the opposite has to happen you know, in, in your treatment, because the reality is when someone's diagnosed, this is now the rest of their life, you know, for the next two to five years, it's incredibly intense, um, focus on it and treatment. It doesn't just, you know, treatment just not a few months and then pay back on with, with life. This is, you know, a big journey. And I find personally with all the people that are supported and I've supported hundreds of cancer patients through their, their journeys, the ones that do the best are the ones that take agency back over their life. And many people get into the state and they've lost agency over their life when they're diagnosed, which I find quite fascinating when you look at sort of like the metaphysical and sort of mental, emotional type connections in these people quite often are in a place where they've lost themselves within their life and they've lost their sense of self in particular. I strongly believe what I've learned from cancer, one of the big things I've learned from cancer is it seems to be this disease of disconnection and disconnection from self um, and, you know, when you disconnect from yourself, you can't then attend to yourself and all your feedback mechanisms in your life. And so you, you start to feel out of control within your life and the agency of your life starts to, to go. Um, so, you know, a big part of my role and what I love doing is, is empowering these people to take control back over the journey. Um, and sometimes it's very, very foreign to these people and they struggle and it's highly triggering for them, but it's absolutely essential. Um, but we are, we are, we are so used to just handing the power away, you know, because we have so much faith in modern medicine. But unfortunately, when it comes to the chronic complex diseases like cancer, modern medicine, yeah, apart from the, the crisis stage, whereas if you've got a, a tumor in your brain or somewhere blocking something, you know, they can operate and they can stabilize the condition. Very good at that. Um, but when it comes to the rest of the journey, not so good, unfortunately, and the outcomes and statistics show that so these people have to go above and beyond to create their own statistics and to do that you have to take you know control of the wheel 
Um, I always use the analogy, you're driving the bus back to health. Who do you want on the bus? You know, but you're driving, you have the hands on the wheel. This is your journey. Um, some people don't like that conversation. They don't want that responsibility. They don't have the faith in themselves. Um, so yeah, my, my role as a health practitioner in that context is to teach them how to drive in a way. Well, that, that's a really cool observation. You know, there's a few components in there that like I'm like itching to get on and have mm-hmm. a conversation about that. Is mm-hmm. when, and, you know, my work in uh, mindset consulting and human behaviour consulting and being able to assist people with their perception, we see this quite a bit that they hand over responsibility and accountability to others to actually, you know, dictate their life to them mm. and they lose agency from themselves yeah and quite commonly i see it as uh, very much as well too is that then disease comes in to actually i call it bitch slap you back into <laughs> back into your your presence of, of yourself back into yeah. your body because you've handed your everything else out outward yeah. for other people you know and we, you've, you know, you've lost that sense of authentic, authenticity, you know, your, your authentic yeah. self, your connection to self. And like you say, it's a bitch slap to the face to go, come on, regain mm-hmm. it, you know, because yeah. they haven't lost it. They've given it away. And, you yeah. know, from my experience and obviously from the trauma therapy world that I operate in as well, you know, that's that perception that, that more so than a perception, that core belief that I have to give that away or I'm, you know, uh, I've given it away. That's a really old learned behavior from a long time ago. Um, and it's so, so common in the cancer patient for them to be an incredibly nice person. So believe it or not, there's a whole field of psychology called psycho-oncology. So it's all around the psychology of cancer patients and this C-type personality um, or C-type behavioral traits. It was coined by a, a lady called Lydia Temeshock, a researcher. Um, and so there's a type of person that gets cancer, believe it or not. Um, and they're nice. They're incredibly nice, too nice, actually, to their own detriment. Um, and many of them have had early childhood experiences and less than optimal conditions growing up where it was absolutely critical for them to give away their authenticity, their, their power, their agency to stay safe and to feel loved. And so they learn it from a very, very early age and then they go through their life and there's all these affirming situations and relationships, which then they further give away their agency, which sort of solidifies that core belief. And then it becomes this chronic behavioral trait going into to later life and so one of the things that i do with, with cancer patient at some point i had to do with myself as well is we've got to learn how to unlearn that behavior mm-hmm. so unlearn the habit of being you you know um, and it's such an important part because it's it's so challenging when you've been doing it for decades and you would see this you know with your, your work i would assume with your mindset and behavioral coaching and these mm-hmm. people have these these stuck chronic coping behaviors and you know, if we want different, we have to be different. Change. The only thing that creates change is change. Um, and on that deepest level, our relationship to self has to change, which is such a deep path to go. And I get it. Some people don't know how to go there, are unwilling to go there or unaware to go there. But I just find the people that do go on that journey deep into self, understand that relationship to themselves and how they became them, you know thyself, when they understand that and they start to tweak that, they change their whole life. As you see that with you change your perception, you change your life, yeah? Um, and then you change the chemistry of your life, which is the chemistry of feeding your body and your cancer, telling them what to do. So 
you can get phenomenal results. And I've, you know, I can share phenomenal stories of people that have had these very quick turnarounds by changing that very thing, perception and their relationship to self. It's fascinating. Totally. And, and if you remember the Delphic Oracle, like know yourself, love thyself, be yourself, right? And um, when we actually give away agency to ourselves and we're being something that we're really not authentically designed to be, uh, I guess from my perspective, we look at the, the injected authorities that actually come into a person or how they should be. And you're talking about the nice, being nice, right, and constantly being like an altruistic person, like being nice, giving themselves up relative to others. But are, are they injecting a belief system that, that it's more holy to be good and nice than it is to actually, you know, step into your power and become more of, more authentically of who we are designed to be as a human, which is to express all traits, to express all parts, right? And in my observation with uh, with disease is too, it is your your body actually becomes an, a manifestation of a state of mind. So if your state of mind has a belief system that is actually, you know, being all nice, like all nice all the time, then that goes against nature in its intrinsic, most authentic form. So we're even within ourselves, we have an unrealistic expectation on our physical form to live outside natural law. So nature's going to come in and actually provide a feedback mechanism, I call it the bitch lap, uh, to bring you back into a homeostatic component so that you can awaken and we're going to use the niceties here for now and maybe just get a little bit of meanness around it. And did you find like during your treatment, etc. If you're nice during treatment that, you know, the doctors and the, the therapists and the practitioners or all the people attending to your disease would, you know, send you in a direction, did you find that you had to take some kind of control and ask questions to be able to get, I call it like the quality data to make a conscious choice on which direction you're going to go? I know that, that was absolutely, cool. absolutely. You know, medicine's not used to mm. because the, the patient asking questions. You know, they, <laughs> yeah. they used to, here you go, doc, here's my life, fix me, doc. Um, just tell me where to go, what to do. Here's my arm, stick a cannula in and bung some medicine in me, and I'll do as you're told. So they're not used to the the stubborn ones, you know, and I've seen um, um, doctors' uh, notes and things come back and it's the, the stubborn one and the, the one that's not listening to, you know, advice and, you know, the, the difficult patient. Um, I'm, I'm like, you want to be that one. Hey, you want to yeah. be that one that asks the questions to get fully informed. Without data, how can you make a decent informed decision without data? Exactly. And, and in, in saying that, because I love quantum physics too as well, and that like questions is an iron on a quest. So it's a separation of a molecule and or a particle. And so when we can ask the quality question, we're actually taking governance over our perception and therefore we're actually regulating our own internal system by doing that. But if we have external components actually telling us what we need to do or what we should do or being told what to do and then labelled as stubborn, that is, to me, is actually like boxing a person in into a, an outside 
projected authority of what we should be. And when we get that, and if we conform to that particular idea, we're losing agency over ourselves. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a rule breaker. And I'll, I'm the stubborn one too, right? In, if you want to give me a label in that format, I've been known to go into medicoasting and say, I'm not doing that. Tell me why I should. And then give me a complete description of all the contraindications of what can happen if that happens. Yeah, yeah. And objectify the whole thing. And mm-hmm. it's like, whoa, hang on a minute. You just need to do as you're told. Well, <laughs> when I This isn't what that, patients do. What are you doing? <laughs> I think we're so we're so programmed into seeking the answer outside of ourselves, yeah. Um, and you know, part of having agency is actually going within and finding that power within, isn't it? Um, so you know, you look at the the great spiritual teachers of the time; they've all said the same thing. You know, don't look out there for the answers. You know, some of them got strung up on crosses for doing that. You know, and the Buddha, you know, go within, go within, and so you know. People just inherently, I think, because of the way that culturally we're programmed too, we don't have trust in our own decisions. We don't have trust that we can take care of ourselves. And so when you know, it comes to the crunch and such massive life-changing things like, let's say, diagnosis of cancer, people can't back themselves. Um, so a big part of my my job and the way that I operate as a health practitioner is a lot of education. You know, you get to be at the same level as these, these medicos so you can talk their language, have their vocabulary, actually dance with them in the ring. So you can make that, you know, that best decision because it, it literally is probably the most important decision of your life um, when it comes to cancer, you know. So, you know, that's, it's a big journey, you know. Interesting. Isn't that very interesting that it's the most important decision of your life and yet so many actually then abdicate that decision, abdicate their life into a white coat. I'm just going to call them white coats, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. As opposed to uh, taking their own power back and mm. being in that space. What do you think drives a person to do that? Fear, for one, huge fear. You know, you met with, again, that C word, you know, with all the connotations around it. Um, and when you actually understand it, and this is, you know, what I do with patients, when they really understand it, it's actually not that scary. You know, when you understand the biological mechanisms and all this stuff, but it's the picture that we paint in our mind of what this means and all the fear around it and the, the panic around it makes you just go, oh, this is bigger than me. This is too much for me to make. I'm little old me. How can I, you know, make this decision? How can I defeat cancer? You know, but these doctors, you know, and their white coats and, you know, their confidence um, and how much we've got to pay to go see them, they must know what they're doing. Um, so I think it's very easy for one to, to hand that over when you're in that, that fearful state. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said before, I think, you know, the confidence in themselves, that agency, they've lost their agency in their life anyway, which is what you mentioned I wanted to, to bring up before, um, but we were talk, we've, we went on a different tangent, which is cool. But um, when you look at the actual biological mechanisms of a cancer cell, it's a cell that's lost its ability to regulate itself. It's a disorganized cell. It's lost its control mechanisms. And so on that microscopic, macroscopic sort of reflection of life, many of these, these uh, people's life, they, they feel like they've, they're, they're just 
existing, not living. They've lost control and agency over their life and being dragged along in the washing machine of life. I get that, you know, that comment from people so often. And it's quite interesting to watch that microscopic reflection as well. It's the cell that's lost all those control mechanisms. can't kill itself and regulate itself if it needs to. So I, find, I always find that fascinating too. And in the holographic universe, you know, like we have the laws of reflection. So that which is on the outside of your world is going to be reflected internally. And mm. to me, that is because I love uh, hermetic principles. And when we look at the laws of cause and effect and the laws of transparency and the laws of polarity, and these are, you can, you can take these components and layer them into everything. So if, if a person's external world is in that state of chaos, then the internal world is going to be actually reflecting that. Totally, totally. And what do you what do you think about um, the polarization of perception in the creation of losing agency over a cell or losing governance over a cell? Like it's actually uh, the polarization of a mind. They believe that in their self um, self wrongness state that they've lost you know, governance over themselves. Yeah, yeah. So they're polarising what we call into all nothings. So mm. they have this black and white mentality. Have you noticed that, like through that, that it's all one way and they can't see the other way? That That's mm. the imbalance that is in terms of polarisation and perception. It's all or nothing. So, interesting. It's an interesting one. Um I have to think about that one. The the black and white nature of it's that's not necessarily a behavioural trait that I've noticed. Um, generally, they just go along with other people's perceptions. So, you know, other people's perceptions, opinions are more important than them. That's an agency thing again. Um, and could so they're very. In, could you sorry. see in that moment? Could you see in that moment that they're in a, they're just going along with other people. So there is a separation. That's a polarization. Yeah, that's a yeah. totally a polarization yeah. for sure, for sure. Yeah. And there's very good reasons for that. You know, when you do delve into their past, you can see why they do that. You know, it was important yeah. for them to do that at some point in their life. And it's usually early childhood experiences okay. where it actually saved them and made them feel safe. But in that gave up their authentic nature, you know, to choose attachment to their survival figures for that safety and potentially just the dribble of love as well. Um, and it was enough. Um, but again, that's that initial disconnection. Yeah. Yeah. When I say, the- you know, what I've noticed is cancer is that disease of disconnection. That's when it started. And then all the other life events just reaffirm that and compound it and solidify it. Um, not that it's solid. I don't, don't believe it's ever solid. It's malleable. But you've got to be aware, don't you, before you can start to go in and massage that and untangle that a little bit and find yourself again in there. Absolutely. But again, you sort of see that disassociation, like in terms of the polarization actually occurring, that the perception of that there wasn't any love there at a certain age, or there was uh, a necessity to actually source a, a lot of safety through the perception of the excess or all fear-based components. So we look at those, uh, we can see again, like the imbalances splitting splitting the two parts of the, the pole. So the separation yeah. of self there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Absolutely, and- absolutely. And so many people that I've spoken to that are 
further along in their journey, <clears throat> excuse me, and if they have taken that healing journey as opposed to, let's say, the curative journey, which is just get this thing gone so I get on with my 1.0 version of life, not actually learn from it and go into a 2.0 version. But people that are on that healing journey, often, so, so often, you know, they look back and they go, it was so important, so important for me to get on well. And it was yeah. one of the most important things that happened in my life. And I can certainly say that as well. Like I wouldn't be the person I'm having these beautiful conversations and doing the beautiful work that I, I love to do without cancer, you know, it had brought so many blessings into my life. You know, I counted just, the blessings yeah. once when I was deep in it and, you know, I did, um, you know, cause I know you're a fan of um, John F. D. Martini, aren't you? Um, um, his book, Count Your Blessings was the Bible for my cancer journey. I read it. I think at one stage I read it 10 times in eight weeks. Um, and I did the whole blessings thing. I was looking, where are the blessings? Where are the blessings? It came with 802 days. Um, and, you know, that totally shifted the mindset so I could look at it and find meaning and purpose and context in my life, which then helped me to dance with it differently through my treatments to, you know, ultimately get me well. I love it. And and being in that is there where we actually turn like cancer into this nasty thing into a blessing, as you say. Mm. But we can then love it to a degree, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, we can honor it and have a deep sense of gratitude yeah. for yeah. like the service that it's actually provided. For sure, sure. Move you back home into yourself and really yes. ask these quality questions about yeah. Yeah. how you yeah. wish your life to be for, for sure. you. And and that's exactly what happened with me after those 800 benefits. You look at you know, the C word again, you go, it's like, how can I be mad at you? <laughs> you know, it's like, look at all these blessings physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, spiritually, financially, you know, familial stuff. It's just like, okay, okay, I get it now. Um, and that's, you know, I do this with, with patience as well because um, it's so important. Mindset from the beginning is so important. If you get into victim mentality and you're at war with it, you're at war with yourself because cancer is not an invader. It hasn't come from outside of yourself. It's a, it's a process some of your bodily cells are going through. So look at it as a process, um, not this invading thing that wants to kill you. So don't be at war with it. Work with it. Learn from it. Adapt to it. Um, and I just find the people that can change their mind shift mind um, set towards that and then approach it from a, a different perspective, they get the better results. That's that's really cool. That's really cool. And thank you for actually acknowledging and saying that because that's the same thing that I've noticed too. Instead mm. of actually staying in that, like the, oh, this shouldn't have happened to me, I'm a victim, in that they take accountability and responsibility and go deep into into the you know doing the inner work for themselves yeah. as well and then they come out with all of the blessings and find the value in this actually occurring for them yeah. i have a beautiful girlfriend who also lives in perth who uh is a breast cancer uh i, I like to say she experienced breast cancer but i like to use the word survivor because that still mm. gives a a component that is something that shouldn't have happened to you right mm. it's uh, she experienced breast cancer and she had this saying, I had to learn how to make love with it. Yeah. And once I'm actually, once I actually made love with, with my breast cancer, I saw, same as you, I saw all the blessings, was able to integrate those components of how it actually provided with, provided her with so many benefits mm. and mm. Uh, also service and the deeper understanding of physiology now she too also actually assists people in understanding yes. that. 
we could say that um, are you predestined to actually have this and it's sources intentioned for many people who can actually get to this point to actually share the wisdom and what is the wisdom really of cancer yeah. actually trying to reveal to humanity? Definitely, definitely. Mm. You know, and I think it's this is down to attitudes to health and to sickness just in general. You know, you said it before, you know, these feedback mechanisms, the uh, AKA bitch slaps. Um, you know, one of the yeah. biggest lessons that I learned from cancer was what health is and what these these signs and symptoms, you know, these aren't problems in the body. These are just deviations from homeostasis um, and it's your body's attempt to get your attention to make some changes in your epigenetic environment, so the chemistry of your life, to bring you back into homeostatic balance. And these are physical signs and symptoms. These are emotional signs and symptoms, you know, anxiety, depressions, you know, low mood, high mood, whatever it is, you know, cold sores, rashes, autoimmune conditions and tumours. They're all feedback mechanisms designed to get your attention. It wants change. So without change, nothing changes. And this is the issue is that we just medicate these little, you know, signs and symptoms, feedback mechanisms, make them go away, learn nothing, keep doing what we're doing and get more of the same. Funny that. Um, and so the relapse, the relapse rate in cancer is very, very high because, you know, so often people just want to get back to their life. And the oncologists even say that, well done, no awareness of disease, ring the bell, off you go back to your life, get on with life again. So they go back in mm-hmm. the same old thing, same old diet, same old mediocre job and, you know, lack of love and, love and intimacy in their life and just back on the train. And well, yeah. yeah. What's, you know, do the same thing over and again, expecting different result. Good old Einstein told us that, didn't he? Yeah, definition of yeah. health and sanity here. Um, yes. So you've got to learn, change. You know, what does this mean in the context of your life? When you can really delve into that, get a bit more philosophical with yourself, that then leads to changes which can be life-altering, diagnosis-altering in a very short amount of time as well. So in essence, we could say that cancer is healing. Healing Absolutely. is awesome of existence. And, you know, I spent a bit of time in, um, in the jungles with uh, shamans and, you know, when you go down there and you're experiencing what Western medicine would actually say is like disease and you might be vomiting or, you know, coming out in a rash or having these particular labels placed upon you in, I'm from Australia, so in Australia that would be absolutely, you're sick. But when I'm in Peru, oh, you're healing. Mm. So the body is actually doing what it's designed to do to actually bring homeostasis there. But yet, as you mentioned, here in uh, this particular culture, we take a pill which suppresses that because we're also on the hedonic treadmill of avoiding pain and seeking pleasure. Mm -hmm. And anything that may be a challenge to our feelings or to our emotions or to our physiology that has a little sentiment of pain to it, We've been taught and conditioned to actually eradicate that yeah. as opposed to like looking at the service of, of yeah. what is that there to do, you know? Yeah. And, and unfortunately with the avoidance of that pain <laughs> creates more pain, doesn't it? So we get mm-hmm. caught in the treadmill. <laughs> yeah. So we, yeah. We, we can actually not deny it because the yeah. universe is. So we actually step into it. Yeah. Turn to it and actually meet it. Okay. What can yeah. I do for your pain? What can I do for your cancer? What do you need? What do you need me to do? How do I need to show up to this? Yeah. Very so different what, approach. 
some of the things that you know you experienced while you were during that if you can go back into that time because obviously it was painful and you know what some of the choices that you made and some of the decisions and direction that you took and it you know specifically around uh you know contemplating which direction what i was I was 33 when I was diagnosed. It was 10 days before Christmas. Um, so I've ha- I just recently had uh, the nine-year um, anniversary of being diagnosed just before Christmas, um, which was, was interesting to reflect upon. But it was 10 days before Christmas. I was 33. I had a, a young marriage. We had a, a business. We were gifted a health center um, that you know of. Um, we had 15 practitioners, a yoga hall, a cafe, and a shop. Um, and I was very new in my career. I was very green, um, as you say, immature in the, the career, just out, just trying to earn my stripes and didn't really know how to run business, but I had been given for free a 12-year-old existing business, um, which was phenomenal. That doesn't happen, but it happened. Um, so, you know, I did what I, I saw an opportunity to set the family up and I was like, right, work, work hard you know, build this thing and do what you think you need to do. But I had no business skills whatsoever. Um, and when it wasn't working, I'd just work harder. And when it continued to not work, I'd just work harder because I knew how to work hard. And so I was wearing many hats as the business owners out there will know, you know, I was gardening and mowing lawns and unblocking toilets and doing bookkeeping and marketing and consulting and wearing so many hats, feeling like a, a jack-of-all-trade, master of none, feeling very unfulfilled inside. Um, but I had that beautiful people-pleaser, cancer-prone personality type where I hid it behind a nice, cool, calm, collected demeanor. And, and people were like, oh, you're so cool and so calm. And it's like, you should see the shitstorm inside. <laughs> um, but I was hiding the emotions away, which is one of the biggest um, hallmarks of the cancer prone person like that we repress emotion we don't express it to the world it's not safe to express we hide it away and we take yours as well we'll swallow that too um so i was doing that chronically for a long time before the big um tap at the door came that first diagnosis and so i went through two years struggling for my life i had three relapses so relapses when it comes back so i was clear ring the bell well done go back go back to your life which i did back to the business you know i didn't drop anything and then um, six months later, another tap at the door. Here you go. Try again, child. <laughs> um, went through treatment again. Ring the bell. Well done. Go back to life. Went back to life. Didn't change anything, did I? Bit silly, aren't I? Um, three months later, next, next relapse. Bloody hell. And when I got to the third relapse, I had to really take a step back and go like, what the hell am I missing here? Because, you know, I was a naturopath. Uh, I could treat people with chronic health conditions. I knew all about diet, all about supplementation, how to support cancer. Um, And it became very obvious that it wasn't what I was doing was the problem. It was the way that I was doing it was the problem. And one of the biggest lessons I learned there is so much focus can go on what do you need to do to get well? What do we inject into the system? You know, what supplement do I take? What diet do I do? What guru do I follow? What book do I read? you know, add, add, add to the system. And sometimes the most important question isn't actually that. It's actually, is the path to healing clear? Are there roadblocks in the way that need to be removed? So what needs to come out of the system, not get put into the system? And I had realizations around this and I had to go deep into that. And it's like, wow, what does this mean in the context of my life? You know, it's obviously this this crazy shitstorm of a life that I'm in is the problem here because 
if you're familiar with cancer types, my sort of cancer was testicular cancer, metastatic testicular cancer. So at my worst, I had a nine by eight by three centimeter tumor in my abdomen. I had a couple of tumors in my chest, some under my collarbone, my neck and my lungs. I was riddled with the stuff. And out of all the cancers that you get, if you can get this one, testicular is the best one to get. It's got very, very high success rates. Like I'm talking 94 to 90. 8% success rate was first line of treatment. First lot of treatment is usually successful in 9.8 out of 10 people. Um, yet here I was two years later, three relapses, stage four, and the oncologist scratching his head going, well, we don't know, mate. It doesn't make sense. Um, there's not enough people worldwide that get this sick with this sort of cancer. We literally don't know what to do. Um, so, you know, I had to make really big changes and i had to ask the hard questions like i need to create an environment conducive to healing um what does that need to look like and the business wasn't a part of that you know it was too crazy you know i was taking on my ability not to let other people help meant i was doing it all trying to prove something and the, the other factors that were driving that seeking love and appreciation through all the people that going oh it's going so well well done blah 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 it felt really good that was my medicine for it so i kept maintaining you know that crazy workload with it to to feed that hungry ghost within but i got to that point i realized we have to get rid of this this is the problem this is the why not not the what of the condition but why am i unwell now i've got to address these underlying core beliefs that are seeking that love and appreciation out of the business and not be able to say no and that fawning response of just do more more and more so we sold the business um we had to downsize our house to to get our financial you know state you know more conducive to being less stressful so i had to change my stress levels in short massively and that internal stress my internal environment you know had to change drastically which sent me down a very deep path of going within with meditation spirituality and plant medicines and like you've been over to the amazon and spent time with shamans deep in the, the amazon working with you know sacred plant teachers and all these things to really reconnect back into me um, but you know on the practical level i had to get my life in order you know the chemistry of my life was just way too chaotic and again that cancer cell was a chaotic cell that's lost all its control mechanisms that certainly reflected my life so it was a, a a process of bringing my life into homeostasis to allow my biology to come into homeostasis yeah yeah, yeah. and i did treatments obviously i did oncology treatments i went overseas mm -hmm. and i did some heat treatment which is called hypothermia where you heat the body up to very high temperatures to sensitize the cancer to treatment. So I did some of that stuff too. And so the combination that got me well eventually was obviously me rearranging my life, the right chemotherapy, and then the hypothermia um, heat treatment to sensitize it. And if I think if I was to do any one of those ones by themselves, it probably wouldn't have worked. It was the synergy of bringing that all together, creating that environment for these other things to work. That was key. And I know the stress side of things was huge for me. That's why I focus a lot with my patients and in my practice. You know, that's why I do the trauma therapy stuff um, because this is you know, the underlying ground substance for, you know, the belief systems, the personality traits. And if we clean that stuff up, the environment you know, for healing can clean up as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's just on the part that you said, you know, like the synergistic component of taking in a collective of a multitude of all things 
and not just one thing because we're so conditioned. Oh, we'll just do one thing. Yeah, one but, disease, one pill, one solution. Yeah, we're so yeah. programmed to that. Yeah, so programmed to that. And one thing I noticed too is that is that your priorities had to come back to you in the essence of being as opposed to doing. And we're also conditioned as well to, you know, we've got to work hard, be, we've got to, we've got to do, 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 do to be able to receive. But we're missing that vital component of what we call ontological, our ontological essence, which is the, the study of being, of, of being. Like we, you had to really come into yeah. prioritizing yourself. And this is where your agency comes in, is really having governance and agency of who you were going to be like during this process. And can you see that potentially that you're unconscious when you were just doing and doing, 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 like with the, the work side of things. But through all this process, you had to really come into asking quality questions mm. in the essence, like, who am I going to be from this point Absolutely. forward? And, and that's conscious moment. choices, aren't they? The conscious choices. Whereas before that, like you said, um, I was in autopilot, you know, the my trauma responses, my learned behaviors and coping strategies were driving the bus. I was on the bus, but I wasn't, I didn't have my hands on the wheel. <laughs> All that stuff, all that subconscious stuff was driving the wheel. And so I had to bring that unconscious into the conscious. You know, that's a whole, is it, is it Jung? Is that his quote? Until you bring the unconscious into the conscious, it'll rule your life and you'll call it fate. I think that's Jung. Um, so we, it was certainly have, the case. We have, we have the unconscious and the subconscious, which are, you know, amygdala-driven or limbic system-driven. Mm. And then we have, like, the conscious where we actually step into uh, you know, the hippocampus and prefrontal cortex components. And then when those two integrate together and love each other, we yeah. access the superconscious. And that's yeah. where we then can step into a deep innate sense of knowing this yeah. is who I'm here to be. Yeah. And so, so it was, it was that coming back to me, you know, coming yeah. back into remembering my authentic yeah. self underneath the co layers of coping strategies um, and all the stuff. And, you know, that, that didn't happen overnight, obviously, but, um, Cancer's got a good way of sticking a firecracker up your butt to get there pretty quickly, though. <laughs> Hit the bitch slap right into, into reality. <laughs> right. Let's get you completely present, like right yes. here, right now. Yes, pay attention, child. Oh, yep. Especially, like, like, what better way to get, you know, the attention of a man than to grow a lump on his testicle, honestly? <laughs> to grow some balls to actually be able to step yeah. into yeah, grow some balls. Step up, son. Step up, son. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And that's, yeah, take agency. Can You know, get back in control over life. Yeah. So you can yeah. just surrender to life at that point and, you know, have, have faith in it and to be able to, you know, to be. This is the hardest thing and the hardest concept for, for all of us to be able to have that experience because, because of the fear aspect of, of just surrendering into that place of being. Mm. So I know you've been there. And what do you see or what do you mostly hear from your, um, you know, your patients or your clients when you mention that to them? Like what is their feedback that they, that they generally come back with? Uh, around what? Around them regaining agency? Yeah, a surrendering into the place of yeah. being and, yeah. you know, where... where there really there isn't much to do because you're in the full essence of of that being and your words were faith of stepping into that that faith component yeah, was there yeah. something inside of you that 
there was an innate knowing, okay, this is where I need to go yeah. to be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Listen, it, it absolutely felt like this is is meant. This is happening for me, not to me. Um, very strange, you know, feeling um, to have that, and I almost felt like I almost wished upon myself once. You know, I remember I was treating the cancer patient. Well, when I was very green in my my practice, I was like, you know, I want to be able to understand my patients on the deepest level possible i need to understand what it's like to have the conditions that they have so i almost feel like maybe i jinx myself at that stage sometimes think about that but you know um to answer your question you know at the beginning you know it's very hard for people to grasp the concept of just surrender to this and love this and for some people it's almost highly offensive when they're deep in that fear zone they just don't even want to entertain that question so you've got to be sensitive to that and you know some people are open to that conversation and that sort of language and some not so much but you know my job is to get them there i i see you know we start off you got to meet that patient where they're at um and but for most people at the start the ones that are slightly open to it they they know there's truth in it you know you when you talk about these deep affiliate philosophical sort of um aspects to cancer you know these people that are always that that way inclined already there's a knowing there. You can see it that, that they know, you know, it, it hits this truth in it. Um, they even say it sometimes like, yeah, I know, I know this is so important for me. Um, and then there's some people that can't entertain that just yet. So you've got to meet them where they're at, nourish the relationship, give them little, you know, little bits of, um, you know, information that they can succeed on, give them tastes of victories, um, start to build their confidence in themselves and in their body. And then they start to open, you know, that heart starts to open to get out of that amygdala response and they can actually get into their body and open the heart and start to, you know, entertain these sort of deeper aspects of the diagnosis. And that's when you start to talk about, okay, you know, now you're nice and stable or you're in, in the, the throes of treatment. Why did you get this, do you think? You know, the deeper question. And that's when it opens up. And people love that. Honestly, what I've noticed is that they love to have that depth of conversation. You know, there's something that they know that they need to have that conversation. There's something there. Um, and so it's nice to be able to provide a, a space for them to open to that and explore and find what it means and then strategize with them. Like, what, what next? What do we do now then? How do we approach it? It doesn't change the physical treatment of the disease, but, you know, how we've got to tweak your life. And so for you answering that question for yourself, like why do you mm. think you got why do you think you got the blessing of testicular cancer? Yeah, well, it was. It was to it was to bring myself back into homeostatic balance, to bring myself back to me. You know, I was, you know, in, in reflection, I was very disconnected from myself. I was in I was doing the good, you know, the good work and be thing, you know, you get your business and you get your house and you get your two cars with the picket fence and you get your postcode and then you work hard and then you try to get a better postcode and then you do your thing and you be the good person because that's the way you do things um and i'd lost myself in a lot of that and the diagnosis continues to as well because i think it's a, a lifelong journey continues to bring me back into me um, my relationship back into self to find that authentic self underneath all the trauma responses and all the you know the adverse childhood events the things that shape us you know who is that divine spark under there that authentic self and so it's you know it, it was give, gifted to me as a catalyst to to start that journey 
And it was a very deep journey. This led me to most amazing places to work with most amazing people and or, you know, learn from the most amazing people to ultimately be able to have the most amazing conversations like this to be able to help, you know, hopefully this is a catalyst to someone out there that may be foreign to this and then, wow, okay. So it's not just this thing that I get infected with that I have to deal with and get rid of. It can be, you know, an empowering thing in my life that sends me on my journey, the hero's journey. So for me, that was, it was absolutely a journey back to me. So you got the call and you listened and took the yeah. hero's journey. Well, I'm grateful. Well, it's a choice, I'm, grateful. <laughs> I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to like share the wisdom that from your experience, like it's, it's beautiful for me yeah. to be able to have a, have someone like yourself on my own podcast. Mm. And um, so I'm grateful for the opportunity to, for you to have cancer, to be yeah. able to think what I call the deep gnosis yeah. and the yeah. deep wisdom and to become a divine spark, a divine yeah. essence or a divine notion or a divine light for others to be able to draw from mm. if they're going through the hero's journey as well. And, and we all go through our hero's journeys over and over and over again, spiraling through life. And I think, you know, that one of the, the hallmarks of the, the hero's journey is when the hero comes back, they share, they share the yeah. boon. As, yeah. you know, Campbell would have called it the gifts. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it means, you know, if we can start to open up and share vulnerably about our hero's journeys and what we learn and maybe what we struggled with, um, you know, then it normalizes it for someone else. Oh, I'm not Absolutely. the only one. So many people think they're struggling and the only one that's struggling, just like <laughs> you and the rest of the planet. Um, mm -hmm. And so when we open up these conversations, it raises awareness for everyone to, to grow. And that's mm -hmm. what it's all about, yeah. isn't it? Absolutely. And nothing can actually grow without a struggle. You know, trees mm. don't grow without actually having like different seasons come through and losing totally. branches and losing their and leaves. And also trees love shit. They love fertilizer. And so we've got to go through our shit to grow. Absolutely. <laughs> totally. So I don't know why we think that we're any different, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you for the opportunity to be able to share the wisdom. And Pleasure. if you if there's anybody listening to this podcast that is experiencing uh, any form of cancer or any other disease, where can people actually connect with you, Eddie? Yeah. So my website is www.eddieenever.com, -E um, all over socials as well. So it's pretty easy. It's not too many Eddie Ennevers around. Um, you'll be able to find me. Um, mm -hmm. And you can reach out through... My website, I do offer a 30-minute free phone call if you want to have a chat just to discuss where you're at and how, what sort of support you need and we can see if we're a match to, to work together. That's always an offering. Just go to my website, click on the buttons that are everywhere and book your time. No, um, you know, uh, no, um, what's the word I'm trying to look for? Obligation. It's obligation is the word. No obligation. Just have a chat and we'll just see where things are at and see if I can help. Um, but reach out, follow me on socials, ask questions. I post lots of really good content and, and all sorts. Perfect. And of course, we'll actually place all of those uh, um, attachments in the or links in below so that you can actually click on them easy. And thank you again, Eddie, for the opportunity to be able to have this conversation. I loved it. Yeah, so. thank you. Absolute pleasure. Thank you.